Join us for sacred love.
Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to the Center for Spiritual Living. My name is Reverend Kathleen Miller, and it's my honor to be one of your staff ministers and to preside for this morning's celebration. The Center for Spiritual Living is a spiritual community that blesses all teachings and all spiritual teachers. We know that there is no wrong way to worship, whether it be lighting a candle, facing the east, burning incense, repeating a mantra, lighting a menorah, or offering prayer. We respect all the ways there are to draw closer to spirit, for even though there may seem to be differences in the path, the destination is the same. Our vision is inspiring the recognition of spirit in all. Something wonderful is happening here, and it's because each of you is here celebrating with us today. If you're new to the center, if this is one of your first times or your very first time, we invite you to stop by the welcome table after service today at the back of the sanctuary. We have some information about our teaching and about our center for you there. One of the ways that we celebrate together is in song. I invite you to stand and join us in God You Are. Yeah. 
So some reminders of some of the wonderful things that are happening here. The first thing is the fourth quarter classes for this class year are beginning this week. So we encourage you to please pre-sign up and prepay at the events table for any class that you're drawn to. And please don't hesitate to ask any questions if you're not sure which one might be the right one for you. Any of the practitioners or the staff ministers would be happy to answer any of those questions. The business breakfast is being held this Thursday, that's April 9th, and the venue is changing a little bit. The location is still the same at the Four Points Sheraton, but they're meeting downstairs in the Niagara B Room, and that's because the business breakfast, using spiritual tools and applying them to your business, has been such a success that they've needed to take in a larger venue. So this is very important if you would like to attend that you pre-sign up and prepay because giving the hotel the numbers is really important for this growth. And we want to celebrate all of you that have participated in the success of this and that continued dynamic growth. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday, April 12th, and it's Bring a Friend Sunday, and it's a wonderful opportunity to bring a friend to experience the Mameza African Choir. We'll be performing all three services next Sunday here at the Centre. There are invitation cards in your program to assist you in extending that invitation to somebody that you think would enjoy coming to the Centre and experiencing and for you to share that time together with them. The following Sunday is Dr. Rick Moss will be our guest speaker. He will be speaking at all three Sunday celebrations, the two in the morning and the one in the afternoon. He will also be facilitating a workshop in between those classes. The workshop is Healing and Transformation, the Power of Liberating the Subconscious. That is a pre-sign-up as well. We encourage you to give us some indication of the numbers that will be participating. You can sign up at the events table. Dr. Moss will also be available the Saturday prior, which is April 18th, for personal sessions. You can find out more about him from the insert in your program or his website on the internet. It's very informative and a really wonderful website. Friday, April 24th, the Mameza African Choir is having a concert here. They're doing two concerts in Edmonton, one at the Windspear and one at our beloved spiritual community here, the Center for Spiritual Living. You can purchase your tickets for that event. They're coming together in connection, celebration, and community. It's going to be a wine and cheese dit evening. The doors will open at 7, and the concert begins at 7.30. Tickets are $45, and they are available at the events table. And I encourage you to get your tickets soon. They are going quickly. If you'd like to make, assist in making this an extraordinary event, please fill out this blue Opportunity for You card that you'll find in your program and place it in the offering basket today. There's all kinds of wonderful ways that you can be in service and assist the success of this event. That is the announcements for today. Really exciting things happening at the center. I was at the Mamesa Choir concert last year. It is fabulous. They sort of do their buttoned-up version for the Sunday morning, and then they let loose for their concert. They put costumes on and everything. It's wild and wonderful. Totally worth every penny. 
another thing that's totally worth every penny is the new CD of our featured artist today. He sent me one, and I don't know where you got all those people, Anthony, but, but wow, it is just a stunning CD to listen to with all the different instruments and, and uh, voices and, and the stuff happening in these CDs. just interesting. Besides the beauty of listening to a message that is uplifting and unifying, which is so hard to find. And uh, Anthony Burbage, who you probably you guessed I'm, I'm introducing, is not a stranger to many in the center, has got a lot on the go right now. He's got uh, all of his CDs, I believe. How many CDs do you have, Anthony? Four of your own? Three of your own. He's got for sale at the back after the center, so you want to go pick those up. He's touring across uh, U.S. and Canada right now promoting this new CD that he's done called The Great Awakening. He'll be singing a song from that. And uh, he's got a special offer right now. If you're wanting to increase your library, there's a deal on for 40 bucks. You get four different CDs, including a bonus CD featuring uh, songs from 14 different positive music artists. You get a little sampler, which I love because you can be introduced to new uh, music that way. So I'd like you to welcome back Anthony Burbage. Thank you, Robin. Um, secretly, I don't tell us at other centers, but secretly, this is my favorite place to play. So <laughs> it's always nice to come back here. I always feel welcome. Um, I'm going to do a song from the new C CD, um, and I'm going to just do it with the piano so that you have a chance to really connect with the lyrics, because I think the message in this song is one uh, that you'll be able to relate to. This one is called Many Rivers. Oh, 
Beautiful. Thank you, Anthony. Each week we have a team of practitioners in service, anchoring the consciousness and holding the high and clear knowing for the celebration and the success. And they're available after service to support you in affirmative prayer in the room just outside this door, as well as they do the meditation prior to service. And they will pray for you throughout the week if you put forth a request from the Opportunity for You card in your program and place it in the offering basket. The practitioner team in service this week is Reverend Catherine McLeod, Elaine Warwick, Sonia Rem, Vicki Picard, and Laura Cameron. And I invite Sonia for this morning's reading. Good morning, everyone. The reading is from the Science of Mind text by Ernest Holmes. Peace be unto thee, stranger. Peace be unto thee, stranger. Enter and be not afraid. I have left the gate open, and thou art welcome to my home. There is room in my house for all. I have swept the hearth and lighted the fire. The room is warm and cheerful, and you will find comfort and rest within. The table is laid, and the fruits of life are spread before thee. The wine is here also. It sparkles in the light. I have set a chair for you where the sunbeams dance through the shade. Sit and rest and refresh your soul. And eat of the fruit and the drink, the wine. All, all is yours, and you are all welcome. It gives me great pleasure to bring our spiritual teacher, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning, welcome. Beautiful day. Palm Sunday. My dear friend Julie Bull gave me a 
magnet for my uh, refrigerator this morning. I forgot first service, but it says, I found Jesus. And then it says, there's a picture of a sofa, and it says, he was behind the sofa the whole time. So. <laughs> Thank you, Julie. A year ago, she gave me a statue of Jesus with wheels on his feet and his arms moved. It was, uh, so it's an action figure, a Jesus action figure. So I'm getting a whole collection. Uh, where I'm going to store it, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. Thank you, Julie. All right. Where were we? I'd like to invite you. If you'd like to stand up with me and sing this song, it's quite sweet and lovely when we do that. Not because you have to stand for me, but stand for yourself. Take a stand for who and what you are. Ground yourself in the, the truth of being in this moment, which is really that you are the spot that God shows up. And as that song so beautifully said, we are that, we are many rivers returning to the one. And so with that said, let's sing and pray a bit. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit. Very room in this very room in this very room. So I invite you as we stand together to remind ourselves who we are and whose we are in this moment. I recognize, acknowledge there is no separation. We heal the separation in this moment. We do that in our consciousness in our awareness and understand as we open ourselves to this life force that is seeking us and we are seeking it. It is here now. So let us know that whatever comes alive for us in this moment, whatever is bubbling up in the awareness, our awareness, it's right and perfect. We call it forth. Wherever we are, we bless the opportunities. We bless the, the, the obstacles and the struggles for that is which has been called forth for each and every one of us so that we may continue to stretch and grow into the person that we are called to be on this planet at this time. And so I just give thanks. I give thanks for this blessed, this blessed day, the sunlight. That sun falls so beautifully on the lawn and on the wall and on our, our lakes and rivers. And it looks different everywhere it falls, but it is the sun from the one source. And we may look different, each and every one of us, in shape, in size, in the way we move on this planet, in the language we speak. But we are all connected to the one and all from the one. And so I give thanks this day, knowing that the blessings that are awaiting to be revealed by means of each and every one of us have that access. We are the doorway. We are the portal of the beloved. For this I give thanks. Together we say, and so it is. Please be seated. Thank you so much. So I mentioned last week uh, that we're looking at the work of Rumi. And Rumi, catch up very quickly, Rumi was a was and is. See, Rumi's still with us. The Christ consciousness is still with us. The body may not be here, but the consciousness, the awareness, the intelligence is still with us. It has to be. Because intelligence is intelligence. If we think that we're limited by the physical form, and that's the only way that we, we perceive things, then we're really cutting ourselves off from this deep well of information. 
And so Rumi was, a, was and is a Sufi mystic. He, wrote, he, lived, he was born 1207, September 30th, 1207. He was born in Afghanistan, and his family, because Genghis Khan and, the, and his gang were threatening his environment, he moved to, with his family to Turkey. He ended up doing his work and his, his study in Konya, Turkey. And the Sufis are the lovers of God. So I found a quotation I wanted to share with you. The lovers of God, and, and Rumi, Rumi felt that being alive was the ecstatic moment, to live in the ecstasy. And so rocks were alive and trees were alive, and he, he, and he, he mined the depths of his being, and he was, he was nurtured in this practice. His father, they said his father was a great river, but he was a great ocean. And so the consciousness was called forth. And a fascinating story. I don't have you know, a, a whole lot of time to share with you today, but it's a, a compelling story. Quote from Carl Jung, and Carl Jung was a student of Sigmund Freud, and he took Freud's work and expanded upon it, as is typical. The work that we're doing today, someone will step in here, and the next generation will expand upon these ideas. The ideas I share with you now that I think are alive, they're alive for me, so I believe they're alive for you. The reason that we're, we gather together the way we do is because it touches something within us. And, and so those ideas continue to evolve and grow. That's the nature of the infinite, the divine, the beloved. This is uh, from Carl Jung. And Carl Jung had this to say, The unrelated human being lacks wholeness, for they can achieve wholeness only through the soul. And the soul cannot exist without its other side, which is always found in you. This individualized expression, our body, the, that, that individualized form that we take. It is always found in you. Wholeness is a combination of I and you. And these show themselves to be part of a transcendent unity. And the reason I selected this is because Rumi talks about this. We have been conditioned in our culture, especially in the West, that this idea that God's somewhere out there. That if we love Jesus, we'll, we'll make it to heaven one day and, and all will be good. And that's, that's a very popular idea. <clears throat> and we would agree with some of that because we do want to make it to heaven, but heaven is here. Heaven's here right now. So if we're in hell, that's right. We don't have to die to go to hell. I know many people live in hell every day. Anybody know anybody like that? But it's true. If, if, you're, if you're suffering, if there's... And I'll ask many people when they come in, why are you suffering? Why are you suffering? And suffering is one of many choices. And so I want to share with you a clip. Um, I want to set up Rumi a bit today and, and the person, that, the consciousness that brought Rumi into our awareness. And I want to talk also about one of the things that, that I hope that I can leave you with that, I, that is powerful and simple for me. It's a simple practice. Each day, what am I saying yes to? So there's all this, I can read all these books and I can read all the information, but what am I saying yes to this day? Because this is the point of power. This is the day that I choose. What am I saying yes to now, today? And the other part of that is what am I saying no to? Very simple practice, but that's really about, and that's about that, that inner conversation. It's about that, that dialogue that goes on within us. So opportunities and things show up in our experience. What am I saying no to? And not only that, but what am I saying yes to? So I'm going to show you a clip of Coleman Barks. Coleman Barks brought, has really been one of the driving forces. You'll also see a bit of Kabir Helminski. And Kabir I've met personally, and he's going to be at our Circle of Love that we're doing in um, Kelowna in August. We're going to have more information about that over the coming weeks, but it's going to be a wonderful event. Kabir will be there with us. And Kabir speaks a bit on one of the videos. He has the gray hair, parts it down the middle. He's one of the, he's the, the leader of the Mevlevi or, uh, branch of Sufi, uh, the Sufi tradition, and they, he's headquartered in Santa Cruz, California. They're the whirling dervishes. 
And so and he, and he, he explains that whole process, the whirling. But Rumi was the one that started the whirling. He's from, they call him Mevlana, Jaladadun Rumi. And Mevlana means Lord. So when you talk, say Mevlana to someone from that part of the world, they know you're talking about Rumi. Amazing guy. He's the most widely read poet on the planet for the last 20 years. And I believe he's read because he speaks right to our souls. He transcends definition, names, cultures. He speaks to our soul. And I believe that he's reemerging on the planet now because we need this language. And so here's Coleman Barks. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to tell you a Coleman story after I show you the clip. So, Mark, would you cue that up? Because he's more than a poet. It's not just a poet. Poets read him and they say, nothing has prepared me. This is Kabir Haminsky. Uh, so it's not only great inspired literature, but it's literature inspired with the truth that goes right to the human heart. Rumi says, read the book of your own life. That's the story. Life. That's your sacred text. This we have now is not imagination. This is not grief or joy. Not a judging state or an elation or a sadness. Those come and go. This is the presence that does it. He has become the most popular poet in America. And I think the reasons are these. The first reason is that although he is a devoted Muslim, his work fearlessly embraces all paths and all ways to God and celebrates the unity in diversity. When grapes turn to wine, they're wanting this. When the night sky pours by, it's really a crowd of beggars, and they all want some of this, this that we are now. Created the body, cell by cell, like bees building a honeycomb. The universe and the human body grew from this, not this, from the human body and the universe. The second reason he combined the philosophical intellect of Plato with the soul grandeur and soul force of a Buddha with the shattering literary power of Shakespeare. He's the Shakespeare of the soul. This we have now is not imagination. This is not grief or joy. Not a judging state or elation or sadness. Those come and go. This is the presence that does What else could human beings want? had this to say, and that's Coleman doing some poetry. I'm going to tell you his, his journey because I think it's fascinating. His journey is our journey. 
Rumi said water. <clears throat> we have this idea that spirit's out there somewhere. Many of us do. I think even when we come into a, our teaching and we start doing our, our classroom work here, we think that spirit is somewhere removed from us. And so we're, we're searching for it. We're looking for God. We're looking for the beloved, as, as Rumi would call God. Rumi said this, water is searching for the thirsty. And the water is the act of force. We belong to the water. So we belong to God. That's whose we are. Who we are and whose we are. We're the individualized expression. And so Rumi had these amazing experiences in his life that, uh, that influenced his writing. I spoke a bit about it last week, and I'll, I'll get into it a little bit. But right now I'm going to share with you Coleman's story, because his story is our story. And he was asked, what, were, what was his journey in finding Rumi? <clears throat> he said the first thing that happened was he was at a Robert Bly conference. And Robert Bly has written a number of books, primarily around masculinity and men. And Robert Bly had a conference every June, and, and he always attended. And Joseph Campbell was there as well prior to his death. Joseph Campbell died a, a number of years ago. But one of, our, one of our geniuses as well that we draw upon his wealth of, of knowledge. And he said he was at the conference with Robert Bly, and Robert Bly, we went up to talk to him, and Robert Bly handed him a book that was translated from Rumi's work by a man named J.J. Arbery. And he said, I believe that this poetry needs to be released from its cage. And he handed Coleman Barks the book. And so Coleman took the book, he started looking at it, he spent seven years, seven years, he would go, he's a, he, speaks, or he speaks, he teaches poetry at the University of Georgia in Athens. And I want you to hear his voice. He's got this wonderful voice. He could just read the phone book. I think we'd all be enthralled with this guy. And, uh, and I tried to get him to come here. I, I inquired when I was at a Silomar last week because I found someone that knows him. And he said, yeah, Coleman will come. Cost you ten grand. I said, oh, okay. I so much. And she said, well, Coleman wants to continue to translate the poetry. And when he has the money, then he doesn't have to work so hard. I thought, well, that makes sense. But anyway... We have him here today with us by a video. But anyway, what happened with him is he took that book, and for seven years he sat in a coffee shop after school, and he did the translation, and he worked on it, and he worked on it, and he worked on it because he wanted to free the information. There's an essence there. It's like any sacred text. There's an essence there. Once you start to capture the essence, it starts to capture you. That's the great thing about sacred text, whether it be the Bible. There's many Bibles on the planet, and Rumi's poetry, I believe, is a Bible. And he speaks so directly to our soul that I, I think that's why he's so popular. Some of his, his writings and his, his poetry are just phenomenal. About four to 500 have been translated. There's 20,000 of them. And he didn't even want to do it. He said, I'm not interested in writing poetry. Eh, I could care less. Wasn't even attached to it. And he would spin around a pole. So, man, that's where the whirling dervishes came from. Rumi would go into a trance state. The spinning for them is really about bringing oneself to the center point, this quiet space within quieting oneself in the activity of the spinning. So he had this book handed to him. He started to work on it. So he started to do the intellectual work, and it started to transform him from the inside out. The other thing that happened while he was working with the, the text is he had this dream, and he had a lucid dream. A lucid dream is a dream where you feel like you're awake in it. And as I move along, I'm having this experience more and more and more. I, my pattern has been I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I do some things because that's just the time I'm up. It's not because I want to, believe me. I'd much, much rather be sleeping. And then there's a period of time where I fall back to sleep, usually around six for an hour or so. And in that hour, I, I have these amazing lucid dreams. It also happens to me a lot in meditation now. And it's a, it's a dream you're awake in, and it's just a very interesting discussion. Somebody asked me about it before service. They said, I'm having these visions. I said, describe it. And they said, well, you're having lucid dreaming. It's the same kind of work Don Miguel Ruiz does. He talks about the dream, They're teaching people how to dream. So if you're doing that, if you've had that experience, you're not going crazy. That's just lucid dreaming. 
So Coleman one night had this lucid dream, and he grew up in Tennessee, and he's overlooking the Tennessee River, and there's a, this right island, which is uh, out in the middle of the river where he grew up, and a bubble floats up, and inside this bubble is a man who's sitting in there, and the man floats up to him, and he can, he can catch his gaze, and the man has a veil over his face. Now, Rumi used to say that this whole spiritual practice is about lifting each veil, and it may be 7,000 veils, but you have to lift each one gently and delicately. If you tear the veil, you've got to start over again. So you have to go gently and quietly lift the veils. Well, this man has a veil over his face, and he's sitting in there, and Rumi lifts the veil, or the man lifts the veil, and he looks, looks Coleman in the eyes in the dream and says, I love you. And Coleman said, I love you too. Didn't know who this guy was, but he saw him. Well, he had a friend that for years had been writing him letters saying, you've got to go meet my teacher. He's a Sufi teacher in Philadelphia. And I'd love to tell you I have the name memorized, but I don't, so I'm not even going to try. There's about 15 syllables in it. But his, his Sufi teacher in Philadelphia... Well, finally, Coleman goes with his friend to meet this guy, and here's the guy that he met in the dream. And so he thought, this is pretty interesting. Here's the guy that I dreamt about several months ago. So from that point in time, he started having more and more dreams. And he would go back to Philadelphia occasionally because he'd write them in his journal and say, hey, look, I had a dream about it. And the, and the, 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 the uh, teacher would just simply go, no, 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 I, I was there. What do you want to know? And so Coleman was quite taken by that because he said, I'm telling you, if I hadn't been there, I wouldn't believe it. And the third piece that brought him to this, this passion and this connection with Rumi is that when he was a small boy, six years old, he got the Rand McNally Atlas and he memorized every capital of every country on the planet. So by six years old, he had them all memorized. And so when he was in boys' school, he went to a boys' boarding school. Part of the drill was they would walk across the center courtyard going from class to class and, and his classmates would yell out the name of a, a country. And then Coleman would, would yell out the, the capital. And so he said I, the first ecstatic he ever met, because Rumi was an ecstatic. He believed that, that being alive, just the, the, the act of being alive was ecstasy. That life was in everything. Celebrate everything. You ever been around, around anybody like that? Kind of wears you out after a while, doesn't it? You know? What are you doing? What are you having here that I'm not having? What have you been drinking or smoking? What's going on, man? You know? But anyway, he said the first, the first ecstatic he met was a Latin teacher. And he said Latin teachers are always ecstatics. They have to be to study that stuff, you know? Anyway, so his Latin teacher went down into the bowels of the library, and he found a country that had no recorded capital. And, it was, and so one day, they're walking across a quadrant, and this, this Latin teacher yells out, Cappadocia! And Coleman had no idea the capital of Cappadocia. He had this blank look on his face, and he said from that point in time, because everybody laughed, he said his nickname, because of what he didn't know, became Cap. And he found out years later when he started to explore Rumi that uh, the capital of the region where Rumi uh, was, was um, from was called Cappadocia. So he realized, you know what, there's been messages my whole life. And I think it's interesting. What messages are we getting over and over again? Those things that show, show up for us in, 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 in reality, you know, in, grounded in reality and also in those lucid dreams. And so he took on this mission of loosing this, this poetry on the planet. And it's, it's amazing and remarkable stuff. What I, what I know about Rumi and I know about great saints is the difference between those people and ourselves is that they more consistently say yes to certain things that perhaps we don't. It's the only difference, that they consistently continue to welcome into their experience whatever it may be, whatever we're affirming for ourselves. That's why affirmative prayer works. 
The story goes, when Rumi was, was teaching one day, Shams showed up. And I told the story a bit last week, but Shams became his partner. Shams was quite a bit older. Shams wasn't interested in having students. Shams wasn't interested in status. He didn't really care. He, didn't have, he wasn't really interested in pleasing anyone, so most people didn't like him. Uh, but when they met Rumi, he met someone that they could start having this conversation. And what they did, their spiritual practice, was to simply sit and not say anything, but to gaze into one another's eyes. And so this practice, if you, if you pick up the book, it's right here. Spiritual, we've got a few coming in. It's called The Spiritual Practices of Rumi. It's by Will Johnson. This guy lives in British Columbia. It's a fascinating book. And the practice was gazing. They call it so bad. They enter into this conversation, but there's no conversation. Because what, what Shams knew is that you could not, he could not convey the secrets he, that he knew through the, through the uh, spoken word. It was an experience. And so they gazed. They would sit for hours and gaze at one another. They would isolate themselves in a room by themselves, and they would just sit in Sobet. And, people, and, people, and what, what we usually do is people started making up stories about them. You know, what's up with these guys? You know, what are they doing in there? They're in there all day long, you know, together. And so there were all kinds of things. And they didn't like Shams at all because Shams had taken their teacher away, taken their friend away, taken their mentor and this presence in their lives. And so, as I mentioned last week, eventually over a period of time, the jealousy led to Shams disappearing, and they speculate that Shams was killed by Rumi's son, and the body was hidden. And, that, and, and, and at that point in time, that, that sorrow, that longing for his friend Shams, he looked and looked and looked everywhere for him, couldn't find him, and finally he realized that even though he was not available physically, there was presence. And that's when the poetry started. It just started spilling out of him. So it's quite fascinating. Without, without Shams, you don't have Rumi. It's that longing. And then what Rumi discovered was he could have that relationship with anybody. And he found special friends that he would, he would enter into that conversation. That's so bad. And it was that direct connection of looking into one's soul, the language of the heart, when we talk about that. And I think that the reason that Rumi has emerged in the last 20 years is because we need to, to be able to have the courage to have that conversation. We can't have it with, with one another, I mean with everyone, but we can have it in our lives. And they recommend in the book that you have it with someone from the same gender because Laura, Laura and I have started pra- this practice. And it's a beautiful practice. So if you have a, a significant other in your life, it's a wonderful practice to just gaze. It's not about fixing anybody. We, we've had our men's group meet for the first time this last week and it was a wonderful conversation. And what I came away with was everybody wants a conversation to be real. And we're not there to fix one another. We're just there to behold one another and to listen with open hearts. That's spiritual practice. We're so busy fixing and doing. I'll tell you, as men, one of the great lessons I've learned in marriage, this is my second formal marriage. And in the first marriage, when my wife would come home and complain, I couldn't listen to it because I had to fix it. Anybody ever had that experience? You can't listen to it because you've got to fix it. You're so frustrated, you're going to go down there and, and, and you know, clean things up for him at work because there's some guy that's just misbehaving and needs to be slapped around a little bit, you know? I mean, but, but what I realized over time, and it took a long time for me to figure it out, is she didn't need me to fix anything. She just needed to, 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 to share with me. That's all she needed. So I figured that out. So I met Laura. You know, and when, when she's in her stuff, I can listen. Sometimes it's important I listen because there's things I'm doing I need to change. <laughs> but I can listen. 
But see, that's why we come together in relationship. I mean, we have all these things that go on in our lives, culturally. We, we have this image that Madison Avenue or Bay Street or whoever has told us. It's have the new car and have the house and have this. And we, get, we find the right and perfect, this romantic idea of relationship. And all that stuff is part of it. As Rumi would say, celebrate it all. He said, celebrate the, 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 all the senses. You know, and, and, and in the back of this book, I haven't gotten to it yet, it talks about this act of being with another that you love physically, what that's all about, and how that can be a transcendent experience. Because I think what wants to happen is the converse, that deep conversation is longing to, be, to happen. We keep, keep getting distracted from having it because we say yes to things that really aren't our purpose for being here. They're necessary if they're before us, but I think that when we realize, for example, people come in the doors and they're in pain. And so they'll start to do the spiritual work. They'll partner up with a, uh, a practitioner. They'll start to understand some of the concepts. They'll start to own their own divinity. And the transformation begins. So the pain leaves. And all of a sudden, they stop doing the work. They're just happy to be. I've been in pain my whole life. I'm happy. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but when we stop there, there's so much more of a deeper possibility. And I told Laura the other day, we were talking about this. And I said, the person that I met, when I met you, you're not that person. And I'm not the same person anymore. And so when you're in partnership and you continue to do the work together, of course it's going to change. Of course the relationship is going to change. But I really think that, that powerful, wonderful relationships are about the ability to stand and sit with one another and just be present in the gaze, have the conversations that are important, but to understand we're not stuck in this in any way, shape, or form. It's not static. It's always changing. It's always evolving. But if it's all about getting and doing rather than being in the relationship, and I think we see so much of that, in our environment, in our culture. And, what, and because we're not connected to it, as Carl Jung said, we can't have the integration because if the soul isn't present in relationship, it's just more emptiness, it's more activity. And then we get you know, 20 years into it, 25 years into it, we're exhausted, we didn't get what we came to the relationship for, she's doing this and I'm doing that, or whatever it may be. I mean, the stories are legendary. Books are full of them, magazines. But I really think for us to, and, and I think what happens, we long so much to have that relationship with one another that we will create whatever it takes in our lives to start to make that connection. I think we create things in our lives to, to break us down, to crack our hearts open so we can make that connection with another. And so Coleman has brought this poetry of Rumi, the language of Rumi, because the consciousness wasn't ready until 20 years ago for Rumi to start seeping into our environment and inspiring us. See, Rumi, Rumi uh, even the, the fundamental Muslims don't like Rumi. Because Rumi talks about it. He says, you know, if you're, if you're separating yourself from the Jew or the Christian or the Muslim or, the, or whatever it may be, then you are separating your, your heart from the activity you're, taking on, you're engaging in in the planet. Coleman's got, he's got some amazing stuff in here. I want to... Rumi says, this is how I would die into the love I have for you. See, Shams, Shams inspired all this, but he realized this wasn't just about Shams. This was about the bigger idea, the, the, evident, the, the, the beloved. This is how I would die into the love for you, as pieces of clouds dissolve in sunlight. As pieces of clouds dissolve in sunlight. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some monetary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and attend them all. 
See, Rumi's talking about embracing it all. We talked about the Buddhist tradition last month. Welcome it all. When things fall apart, this is for me as well. Things are falling apart, shifting and changing. Wow, this is fascinating. We're here to do this work. We are here, as Dr. Holmes said years ago, to press forth the consciousness of the planet. He understood that in 1926 and before. Ernest Holmes is a Sufi. That reading that Sonia gave me, that's the first reading from the Science of Mind textbook. See, if you do this work and we're one path, and we're just one path, and, and, and for us to continue to evolve, because that's what's happening for our organization, it's, it's falling apart. Our organization is falling apart so we can come back together in a new way. And everything's changing. And so you have the, we have the, the fundamentalists that want to hold on to the tradition, but you need that because it creates the dynamic tension so everybody stays awake and aware so we don't just fall into change for the sake of change. Because we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's wonderful things we do. But some of the things that we've done in the past are limitations to what we're being called to. So sacred cows have to die. I watch it around here and just and people that have stepped up and they're in ministries and, and we get entrenched. And I look at, I see it in others because I see it in myself. We get entrenched. How we do business, how we operate, how we set our, our leadership up. And what I know about that is that all that has to go. Not in a bad way, not overnight, but it's a continual evolution. So more, the more people that can play, the more people that can share their gifts, the more potent and wonderful and powerful we are. Welcome and attend them all, even if they are crowds, a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still treat the, the, each guest honorably. He may be clearing out you. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. You know what Rumi's talking about there? It might have to go because you don't want to limit your great by your good. It's really good now. Let's hang on to it. Uh-uh. Let's, let's let that new idea come forth. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. You know, when we say no to these things, you know, when, the, when that voice starts for you that you're not good enough, not smart enough, not talented enough, instead of denying it and affirming over it, invite it in. Is that really true? Is it really true that you're not capable, that you're not bright enough, that, you're, that you have some fear because you don't manage relationship well or you don't manage money well? Because if that's what you're saying yes to, what do you get? You get more of that. So what about affirming your brilliance and your genius? Because there's genius within each and every one of us. And when you affirm that, when you know that consistently, all of a sudden things start to shift and change. But it starts there with yes and no. Does anybody have an alarm going off right now? (laughs) Thank you, John. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. August Gold, everything comes for us. Each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Welcome difficulty. Learn the alchemy. True human beings know. The moment you accept what troubles you've been given, the door opens. See, Rumi says that the way to it is to say yes to all of it. And that's what I believe we're, we're grounding ourselves in the consciousness of... It's not John's truck or car. He's coming right back in. Welcome difficulty as a familiar comrade. Joke with torment brought by the friend. Sorrows are the rags of old clothes and jackets that serve to cover and then are taken off. That undressing and the beautiful naked body underneath is the sweetness that comes after grief. So it's really the spiritual practice is one of subtraction. It's one of subtraction. I love that song, that, the first song that... Uh, Anthony sang this morning about the water, many rivers. Water, Rumi said this, 
we think that God's outside of us, but water is searching for the thirsty. The water being the metaphor for the beloved, for the infinite. The water is the active force, and we belong to the water. So if we make the search our activity rather than the opening and the experience of it, and those ecstatic moments, and, and Rumi said we could find it wherever we are. We can find it in the rocks. We can find it in the gravel. We can find it in the music. We can find it looking into one another's eyes, that gaze of the beloved. And that's, that's serious intimacy. We have to be grounded in our, the, the, our nature of our being. When I first got into ministry, I couldn't understand. I would do prayer treatment with someone, and it was really hard to figure out what was happening because there was love happening. And the only point of references I had for that conversation were not what, what was appropriate in that activity. And so I got help from mentors. See, the great thing about Rumi and the great thing about our path is he threw down a ladder. He threw down a rope that said, if you can climb up this, you can have the same experience. But it's understanding that and being grounded in that to understand this is the most intimate of work. It's the, the, the work of the soul. The water is searching for the thirsty. We're the thirsty. It's powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. I want to share with you, um, I'm going to have to tell my story of Laura and I another time. I told a bit of it today. One of the things that we said yes to, though, in our experience, independent of one another and not knowing what she said yes to and what I said yes to was the experience of unconditional love. And that meant forgiving oneself, loving oneself, cutting yourself a break. Because my conversation when I left my first marriage, we were together 25 years. And we grew apart. People come for a season, a reason, or a lifetime. We grew apart. And my son was here last week, and he's doing great, and, and they're thriving. You know, wonderful people, and a blessing for me. Great teacher in my life. And I think I was a great teacher for her as well, but we grew apart. And so we found a way to, to end it well. Because sometimes you end it well. Sometimes you still love each other. You just can't live together. And so... That whole idea changed, but what I knew is that I was not going to repeat this. And when I made that declaration, all of a sudden, because I was still entrenched in that consciousness, my wife showed up in different forms, different bodies. And what I was wise enough and insightful enough to know was, I'm not doing this again. And so I would say no almost instantaneously. And I didn't have the ability to say no to that 25 years earlier. So my growth and my maturation was realized it was far more compassionate to say no now than get into relationship knowing full well that this, this was not what my heart was calling me to be in, but I'll stay in it because I don't want to disappoint somebody. You ever done that? Stayed in relationship because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings? If you want to talk to me later, I have a PhD in it. I'm, I'm, offering, <laughs> I'm offering a course. It's a 60-month course, by the way. It's $50,000 a person. I only need one person. But I'm telling you, you'll understand it when you're done. I want to share with you, um, I think it's, it's a one-minute piece, and then I'm going to share a bit with, with you after, but it's a piece uh, in this video around what I think we're being called to as a, as, a, as a world movement right now. And I think Rumi represents that energy. So, Mark, would you cue that up? Rumi lived seven centuries ago. His message is alive today at a time when humanity is reaching a, a point of convergence, when the nervous system of the planet 
is connecting us all together. And all of the traditions, all of the ways of life that have existed on this planet must come to know each other. Great beings like Rumi, the universal human beings, the saints who really deserve our attention today, were not lovers of separation, but lovers of unity. And they understood the essence of the human being so profoundly and where our ultimate peace and satisfaction lies that if we don't get this message straight, we're really lost. If we don't get this message straight, we're lost. And a lot of the world is lost. And not that we have to fix them. Excuse me, I, I have a reading here. I want to grab Not that we have to fix them. That boy at the end of that video with the, the dirt on his face, he's holding the, the uh, machine gun. How come that kid's not out playing soccer somewhere? Or playing, or being a boy? And we, we have this going on on our planet right now. So how do we support a bigger idea? See, Rumi, Rumi knew this about Sobet. The reason to go into Sobet with someone, and that's why that intimacy is, is so important, because we can't do this alone. We have to be in relationship. Even when Jesus walked the planet, he had his disciples. He had the people that he worked with and prayed with. We have to be in relationship. We have to be able to look into one another's eyes deeply, not confuse it with anything other than the recognition of the soul. Because what happens when we do that is we give birth to a new consciousness. And it's given birth by means of us because the energetics of it, the vibration of the Most High, moves through us and in us in a way that is just, just unbelievable. I was talking to my friend David Leonard yesterday. We were talking about Rumi because he's the one that introduced me to Rumi. And we were talking about the, the experience of this and how when we, we live in that space, we have to have the courage to have our hearts broken open. When our heart breaks open, there's, there's a room for another possibility. When I watch the video and see, the, the, and I see all these great saints... I said when I started, the difference between these great saints, the Dalai Lama, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela, when he was inaugurated, brought the two guards up that were beating him in prison. And, and, and at a certain point in time, because of the way he was with them, they couldn't beat him anymore. They became two of his closest friends. It is the transformation of, of, of that energy that is an example for all of us. So who's beating you or I in our lives? Maybe it's still us. But it's our opportunity to say no to something and say yes to that. And what those saints have done is they have said yes to a bigger idea. They've lifted themselves up with greater consistency than perhaps you and I have. But our work is our work. You and I could have come no other way. It's not about comparisons. It's not saying I'll never be Nelson Mandela. I'll never be Martin Luther King. I'll never be Mother Teresa. It's really about you being you. You being the complete orbed presence that you're called to be. Dr. Ernest Holmes Dr. Ernest Holmes had this to say at the, uh, it says, I, I, today I picked out the, the first meditation in his book, the first thing that's written in his book, the first poetry. Towards the end of his life, he wrote the, the uh, Voice Celestial. It was all poetry. I believe it was all, he wrote that from a, a different level of consciousness. And this is the last meditation in, the, in our textbook. He said, and, and this being Palm Sunday, I think it's very appropriate. He said, when Jesus said, no man come unto the Father but by me, of course he meant the I am. This I am then means the inner reality of every person's nature. And when we stop to figure it out, 
How can we come unto God, the living spirit, except through the avenues of our own consciousness? That's exactly what Rumi was talking about. We are, the, we are the doorway. We are the portal. My relationship with Laura is a beautiful relationship, but once you start, that starts to shift and change, then she becomes the portal as I do for the beloved. Because that's how we work. That's how we operate. We need, we need a point of focus so that we can have that experience. And when the other person says yes to that experience... All kinds of wonderful things happen. God, which, through our own consciousness, which is the only approach to God we could possibly have. It is another way of saying that the only way we shall ever approach reality is by uncovering the divinity already latent within our own consciousness. It's already there. See, the spiritual path is not one of addition and subtraction. It's already there. In our own words, that's what Coleman said. That the, 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 the sacred text is your life. The sacred text is my life. It has to go from the printed word into our experience. That's the challenge for us. We can read about it forever. That's when they say Shams found Rumi. He pushed all of Rumi's books in the fountain. And Rumi started to freak out. He said, the sacred text, what are you doing? In my father's diary, ah! He said, don't worry, that'll be there. When we pull it out, it'll still be dry. Not only was it dry when they pulled it up, physically dry, but he realized it's empty. The printed word is empty unless we apply it in our lives. There's the dryness as well. Every man is divine, every man and woman is divine, and the Christ way is the way of the unfolding of his divinity through his humanity. See, as Dr. Holmes said, God can only do for us what God can do through us. That's our humanity. We are not separate. Our soul and our body are one and the same. This is God's temple right here, this body temple. And so when I hug from that divinity, I'm hugging with the divine, if we're aware of it and conscious of it. unfoldment of his or her divinity through our humanity, the uncovering of our spiritual individuality and the use of, of his personal man or his personality make, makes of it. Meditation is for the purpose of consciously recognizing our divinity and uncovering it. In order to come into the Christ way, into the consciousness of our own divinity, we lay aside every fear or doubt or worry and we enter into the silent, peaceful contemplation that the spirit of the living God is within us. All the power there is, all the presence there is, all the life there is, is right here. Each one turns to himself knowing that. Now he's saying the same thing Rumi's saying. It's ours. It's ours to do. And all we have to do is continue to say yes. All we have to do is look at the conditions of our life and realize the conditions of our life reflect the level of consciousness we we're at, the seeds we planted that, that produced this crop. It sounds really easy. But it's one of the most challenging things I think we can do as human beings. Absolutely. It is. And yet I think that's what we're called to do. I think that is what we're called to do. And so I know for myself that my journey, my path in this point in time, the simple practice that I can incorporate is to continue to say yes to the things that I know that I'm, I'm drawn to, that I'm called to, and, the, and to say no to the things that I no, long, no, no longer serve me well. So I know that's possible possible for each and every one of us. So let's go about this week being more mindful, more aware of what we're saying yes to. When that voice shows up, when I met Laura, I, did, I, 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 didn't, I wasn't going to call her. We talked and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a call. And then I never called her. Because I started that, that, that saboteur inside, oh, she's not going to want to hang out with me. And she know, we know the same people and I'm sure that all these stories have been exchanged and I'm not good enough and, and I'm not wealthy enough and I'm not talented enough and all the I'm nots. That was what I was saying yes to. And then when I met her, and I started telling her why she shouldn't like me and why she shouldn't hang out with me. 
She knew right away. I was moving to a new place to live. She says, don't move there. Move in with me. I said, no, 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 no. You don't know me well enough to make that invitation. You need to see all of me before we go. And she said, no, 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 just move in with me. So I moved to the new place. This is what we do as guys, because we know the right thing to do. I moved into the new place. I think I stayed there like two days paying rent. But she knew, and I didn't know. And so she was able to help me learn the language of unconditional love. And that, that yes to that idea and that principle brought us together. And it, it, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It's just simply that we, we need to be willing to use our intelligence intelligently and to listen to what we repeatedly say to ourselves and to decide moment by moment, thought by thought, is this something I want to say yes to? So I know you can do that. I know we, can all, we are all capable of doing that. So have an amazing week. Enjoy the sunlight. God bless. Thank you. Here comes Anthony. When we get to the end of this one, you are all welcome to sing, sing along. I suspect some of you already know it anyway, so... Cash is plugging in. The bass is so quiet when he doesn't plug it in. <laughs> it's so loud when he does. <laughs> this one's Be the Change. Your life was overwhelmed by all the pressures that surround you and all the struggles that have found you. Well, now don't you hide your life, bring it forth and open wide. You will be the change, you will be the change, you will be the change.
He has his CDs back in the corner there, so if you're interested. We have Mamesic here next week for Easter. They're going to sing at all the services at the 10, 11, 30, and 4. So we're very excited about that. So as our ushers come forward, let us say yes to a larger idea of our lives. And every time we give, let us give intentionally. Let's give with the expectancy of joy and the opportunity to know that these gifts, our gifts wherever they are, whether they be here within our work, within our families, within this community, whatever it is, let us infuse each gift with the consciousness and the awareness and the energetic of the vibration of the Most High. Let us know that as we share from that space, the blessings return to us, pressed down and overflowing in every area of our lives. I give thanks, knowing that our gifts this day go to continue to grow our, our consciousness, our programs, our ministries, and to be in this community in a way like we, we can't even imagine, a power and a force for good. Sharing this message all over the world, which we are now doing on our podcasts. So I just give thanks to you and thanks to every member of this community and the support and the love, those whose legacy we stand upon, those that are here now and those that are yet to show up. We prepare the consciousness. We say yes as we give our gifts, give our, our, our prosperity and all that is longing to be expressed. For this, I say thank you. And together we say, and so it is. Today, by giving this gift.